real, real conversation, conversation and some hard truths. Hard truths. Gangs, Gangs, drugs, drugs and, guns, and guns. Giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught. Protect and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. Hey everybody, welcome back. Nathan Romus with you. Uh, you've probably seen in the news quite a bit lately, lots of deliberation over police funding, the effectiveness of that funding, and the continued increase in violence in a lot of the major cities. So uh, I think we're going to have a good conversation today uh, that will be applicable to multiple cities. And for that, I have Chief of the Edmonton Police Service, Dale McPhee, on the program. So welcome, Chief McPhee. Hey, good to be back, Nathan. I uh, look forward to chatting. Um, so I'm hoping maybe we could start with a bit of education on police budgets. Cause I think, especially at the ground level, uh, a lot of members don't know how this process really plays out outside of what they see in the media. Um, only until like a few months ago, I didn't really realize that we actually have three budgets that you go and have to talk to council about. So can you kind of run us through what those budgets are and how that process looks because you don't just go and kind of debate for one budget or uh, all three at once. I guess you go several times. Yeah. I, I mean, as you, as you hear, you know, budget now is almost a 24, seven, 365, which is unfortunate because you spend a lot of time when you obviously need to actually have some stability to work on uh, the things that we need to work on. And, and we all know that we have some issues. So when I got here in 2019, just before that, we had a budget formula, and that budget formula was a was a four year cycle, based on some factors. You know, it took into consideration inflation, took into consideration population growth, uh, things that were happening in the city, and had the ability to flex up or down depending on some of those uh, some of those measurements. Uh, but as we so when we got here, that allowed us to look at what we needed to do come into the organization, obviously, with a change mandate. And it's like anything. We set up all the meetings uh, before I got here and talked and what we needed to change and had a lot of feedback from, you know, uh, the mid-management, uh, my direct reports, and certainly from association and others. And so we were allowed to make those changes. And <clears throat> long story short, focused on the data and stuff, which obviously took time. Uh, and then George Floyd hit and... You know, we can all say what hit the fan there, but uh, for three years with that stable budget, we had a considered plan that we actually well executed and managed to get a crime reduction that was, you know, larger than most uh, uh, police services in the country and certainly way below the, are way above the Canadian average for further reductions. So that was a something that we had momentum and then then budget, uh, the funding formula got suspended and then it just becomes, you don't have those money to do what you actually planned because it was a, a approved budget. And there's a lot of chat, what was approved and what wasn't. This was actually approved dollars that were reallocated. You know, I think it was 11 point some million with the other agencies. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously uh, I think we've seen that that maybe hasn't been the best project yet. And we certainly haven't seen any of the benefits of those reductions by some of those investments, but hmm, so that's one part of the budget when we have a budget formula, and that's what the big discussion is today. The big thing about a budget formula, it gives you four years as a police service to look at what your priorities are, how you can move money around. You know, you got to be obviously fiscally responsible to stay within that contained envelope, but at least you have some flexibility. And obviously the commission uh, provides some of the guidance and oversight of some of the things in the direction they want, which to that point uh, has been very much on target and it's what led us to our success. But now we only have one year approved here. So okay. we got to go back again this year, even though uh, the city's in a four-year budget cycle, and obviously try to attain a portion or some variation of that funding format. Or the other way is you go to service packages. With service packages, anytime we want to make a change, we got to go back to council through the commission to council asking for additional funding. And interesting when we did that study uh, uh it showed that that actually cost the city a lot more money and because obviously you have to make decisions in relation to that and the funding form that compared to other cities actually drove their costs down so it, it was working for the fiscal responsibility 
But now with this uncertainty is, you know, you're kind of up in the air. How do you manage budget? You know, you're unfortunately coming out of COVID, our calls for services start going back up. You know, certainly we're seeing an escalation of violence, which we predicted through COVID. We knew that, you know, everybody was taking guns off the shelf at some time this was going to play out. Mm-hmm. We knew domestic violence was going to go up because that people were living with each other and things were going to get delayed in reporting. The retail sector was going to open back up and that calls were going to come back. So all of that takes bodies and all of that takes bodies and innovation. So we do a lot of the innovation, online reporting, trying to find new ways. Well, that all still takes budget. So that budget formula allows you to be innovative, yet focused and making sure that you're balancing the equations. So, you know, for, for us, we need to take the vulnerable out of the situation, which we've done a pretty good job of. We're getting some pretty good results of doing that. Some of those antisocial behavior, pushing it to the health agency, partnerships from government are helping. But at the same time, we got to stay diligent on those uh, shooting bits, those bad people that are responsible for 50% of the contact with the justice system. It's the reason we're actually going after bail reform now that we have good stats. Most of the country right now is using a lot of our stats because of what we have right now. Oh, really? But. So some of these things, when you when you see things like Bill C-75 from 2017-2019, I think we had roughly 1,273, something to that area, people that commit all these offenses, but they were responsible for three homicides, not or 12,000 calls. But now it was, I don't have the exact numbers, but I certainly can look them up here. But the three years following, uh, or two plus, I guess, like apples to apples were 26 homicides. So, okay. And as you're seeing some of this randomness, you're seeing a lot of the violent individuals still on the street. So again, going back to the budget discussion, we need to make sure we're building, you know, a non-fatal shooting team, taking those things serious. we got to be all over them. we got to be talking with our gangs. we got to start to integrate some of this work because we have to hit this on both ends of the equation. And in the middle, we have to make sure we have a patrol response to those everyday citizens' calls and ensure that they're getting the service through investigation. And then you tie into traffic, which some of that is going up. So that's what really the operating budget covers, all those things. And then there's the capital budget. So everything that we do obviously has a capital requirement. Uh, this particular year when they the city just made a random cut. So how this works is we don't go directly to council. We go to the commission. The commission reduces our budget asks by X. They don't think this is somewhere we need to spend money. This is something we need to spend money. We put our best case scenario. We come to what we believe is the ability that, yes, we can adequately and effectively manage our police service. And then we go to council for that approval. When we did our capital budget this year, we went there and they cut it by 75%. So we really only have enough capital budget for the first year. Now, what does that cover? That's everything. That's radios, vests, uh equipment you know our firearms so i mean we'll work through that because there's no way we can do that there's ohs and everything attached to that yeah uh so i mean it's not something that we need to panic about but it is something that obviously costs like that then drive up your operating because you got to make sure you find the money because you can't put officer safety in danger you got to make sure you're doing that right now, the interesting part of all this, where there is a change this year, and I think it's a really good change. Uh, other provinces had it, and certainly it's something that uh, we were uh, happy to see. The province stepped in, and they've got a clause in there that if we don't feel or the commission doesn't feel that they can deliver on adequate and effective policing, they could now appeal to the province. Uh, so there is a mechanism of resolve. We never used to have that. Uh, if you are familiar with Vancouver, mm-hmm. they've done that a couple of times. Victoria just did that with success because ultimately safety is a priority for cities. Safety is a priority for communities. And when a chief and or a commission and or both, I don't feel that they have the resources to do that. At least there's appeal mechanism. And we hope we don't have to go to that route, but it certainly is a route that if it just goes too far, that we will obviously make sure that we use. So this would be from cuts from the city, though. Like if the city's not funding it or doesn't agree to fund something, then you appeal to the province. Correct. Okay. Right. So it just gives a mechanism because, I mean, we we do have more than one way to look at it now, which before we never had that, right? And I think first and foremost, you know, safety of 
members, safety of the citizens, they go hand in hand. That That's not something that we're going to ever put in jeopardy. And then from there, we need to obviously, with the resources we have, do the most effective and adequate and effective job to do that. But when we're seeing challenges on firearms explosion, the random violence, some of the random attacks that we're seeing, a lot of the people that are out on bail reform, there's a lot of things that we need to obviously shift over, expand and get into. And then you compound that with what happened and with the defund movement out of the U.S., and certainly the context of how that played out in Canada, and certainly evidence is not an exception. You can use the language you want. Yeah, That obviously took a toll on recruiting because what you've seen in certain police services pretty much right across North America for those that went this direction versus those that continue to stay the path and scale up, you're seeing them way behind in recruiting right now. So, so for us, job number one is we need to get more people back in the door. Uh, we need to build our own farm team, uh, some step down that feeds ourselves rather than just deferring. Uh, and then, you know, we have to try to tackle that. And that's why we're going up to classes of 50. Is that easy? No. Full credit to our recruiting section. But if we don't go to 50 and we maintain that old 32 number that we used to have, mm-hmm. it would probably take us 10 years to catch up. And that's not okay. That's not acceptable with the levels of calls that we have, the level of violence that we have, some of the disturbing trends like the firearms trends and the gangs and the fact that you know when you actually look at this whole debate on drugs right now and in canada has went from an importer of fentanyl to an exporter of fentanyl and street gangs have uh now increased their uh, uh contributions into the fentanyl market by over 50 percent we gotta be on top of that yeah and you know I, so so there's a lot of emerging things that go on and that's why budget is so important because it's not the sound alarm bells. It's just to make sure that we can cover off the gamut and then we can use our partners on the front end, such as health, on how we can take stuff out of the system. So if we can maintain that, um, I'm quite confident that we can get back in reducing this. But, you know, I don't see this as an expense a lot of times. I see this as an investment. I mean, unfortunately, other folks don't see it that way. But if you don't have uh, safety, you don't have well-being. It's that simple. And well, uh, that's right out of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I mean, if if you're not safe, what you don't get to spend on all the uh, niceties, I guess, right? It's about livability. Yeah, livability, hundred percent. One thing I kind of want to go back to and staying on the budget stuff was, uh, and in in doing some of the reading on this, it looks like you're even as a police service when we have the funding formula we still are able to ask for those service packages. Like you can still go before council and say, hey, we have this other thing we want to work on. It's an, ex- it's an extreme situation because part of a funding formula package is to try to stay away from that, right? Because yeah. at the end of the, if you have that funding formula and you have four years to balance it, you can move things around because every year, certain years, you'll have different priorities, right? Mm-hmm. So what you need to make sure is you have that flexibility to operate without always going back to the well type thing. And that's the beauty of a funding formula because it it does give you, now it doesn't give you, you still have to talk to the commission, you still have to get pr- approval to do it, but at least you're not handcuffed into doing things that you might have to do quickly. And if you think in policing, a lot of our environment evolves quickly. Yeah. Uh, and if you have to go for a service package to deal with something quickly, it's not always that effective. As a matter of fact, it's very ineffective for the most part. Well, even the city auditor, I think, was saying uh, and agreed that the funding formula was the way to go. They said that was the most efficient and flexible uh, means for the police to do what they need to do. Well, it was built by council. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as, as I think it was Councillor Cartmel saying, we built this for a reason. And, you know, we actually showed them it worked and it actually shows them but if you want to make it further work, you could look at things like regionalization and some of those things that actually this allows you to do and to, to pick up, uh, you know, uh, to, to deal with some of the crime and some of the intelligence pieces that we need to run our operations. So, you know what, it has been proven to work. It's just, you know, certain times and that's politics is people want it to be their way and sometimes it's not about what actually worked it's maybe they don't feel comfortable with thinking it worked or 
think there's something else. And then you throw in social media and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I hate to harp on that, but, uh, you know, the, social media is not the mainstream. It's, it's still important. I think we still got to monitor. It's why we're changing some of our positions in, in relation to it. But, you know, certain things that we see is and that we've seen recently on some of these attacks that we get is 95% was from the U S. So, uh, you know, it's, you, you lose the local flavor and the local environment and the local success if you're just focused on social media. Well, and I was reading through um, uh, Mayor Sohi's blog before kind of coming up with some of the talks for today. And he was talking in there about, you know, uh, what other city departments do. So they use service packages and they come to the table every time they have a special project or something they want to do. But this kind of got me thinking about the RCMP and some of the issues they run into where they're treated as just another government department when they have very unique needs, especially based on the the things they're expected to do. It's not like a, a normal eight to four, Monday to Friday job. So do you think that's fair to look at us as just another city department or, or I, I'm guessing I know your answer, but just kind of for the listeners, you know, um, what are the issues with treating us as just another city department and, hey, come ask for these service packages when you need them? Well, I mean, again, uh, it's a bit of a, I mean, you have essential services in the city. Obviously, we're one of them. There's others. And I think when you look at what we're dealing with, you got to compare it with what we're seeing as the challenges that we have. And you have to have the flexibility to be mobile. And unfortunately, all those other entities don't have a commission like we do. We have a governance board that's separate from council. And that governance board makes those decisions and ensures there's representatives from council that some of the uh, goals and mission are goals and uh, objectives that council wants to are there, are there. But at the same time, our job is to deliver safe and adequate policing to keep your city safe. I'm not sure there's any other city departments that have that in relation to that. Matter of fact, I can tell you other than the library, which I don't think they call a city department, uh, has that board that we actually have to answer to. So we answer to two masters yeah. the way this is going. And <clears throat> really the city council role in this is just a number. Adequate and effective policing is the role of the commission and the responsibility or the mandate from policing comes from the province. Okay. So all three of those entities are very critical to the situation um, until you go to the RCMP. Well, that's just directly the province. If you go to the OPP in Ontario, you don't see this. It's all under the Ontario government. Uh, and that's how it goes. So, I mean... They're different. Municipal policing is different. Policing is local. You want local results. I think the first and foremost is to the to the point that you discussed earlier that we all Maslow. If you don't have a safe city, you don't thrive. And so part of our job is to try to get the right mechanisms in place. And so you get tied up in these debates, which are philosophical debates. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, I've been around too long to see it. And it becomes a moving money around. Can you move money around and drop the, the cost of service in policing? Well, I've seen that debate and been part of it. And I mean, they all say move it to social services. Social services was funded seven to one to policing back when I was in government, when I was a deputy minister. Social services is important, but it's not going to stop the calls for policing. Yeah. Policing is 24-7 when you're dealing with meth and you're dealing with fentanyl, you're dealing with danger, you're dealing with guns, you're dealing with all this thing. Unfortunately, you're not going to send a social worker. Now, where we are effective is when we send a team, you know, the, the, the PAC or the, or the help workers, because that team, if it's violent, we lead. If it's not violent, they lead. They have the follow-up. We get underneath them, and we obviously try to stop that call from coming in. So we've been advocating for a long time, and it's worked fairly effectively. Certain aspects of our job at the front end, we need the right partners. And I think we're getting there. You know, it's taken a bit of time. Some of the things that distraction COVID, we get them. And then certain things at the back end, we own. Like we own a lot of these things. And then in the middle end, where you're looking at things like transit and you're looking at stuff like that. Yeah. 
we got some confusion going on there because you need the right authorities with the right people to deal with what it is. So we put together now teams, but as, as you're aware, some think the issue in transit is homelessness. Well, that's not our issue in transit. Our issue is violence, you know, people not feeling safe. Yes. And that comes down to the right authority to deal with that. And I mean, one of the things that we've been working with in the province is this whole treatment. Like as police, we need a place to take them. And I always give this example. I, I talked about it the last couple of parades and I and I talked about, I don't know if you did you and I talk about Bob and Charlie on this last time and, and Devin and Evan and Frank. So look at it like this every day. We deal with, and these names are obviously just made up, but there's Bob. Bob is outside the mall, which, you know, now where we are, which isn't great, but it's it's where we are uh, on the uh, upstairs. And it, you, you come in the doors, mom and her kids, and there's Bob. He's smoking meth. Plain day, blatant. He's got a couple of his buddies. They're smoking meth. Now, we can't charge that guy for possession because we have a prosecutor uh, a memo that from 2020 saying they will no longer stand for just charge or, or run trial just on standalone possession unless yeah. there's exigent circumstances. So what do we do with Bob? We just move Bob halfway down the block and we keep moving Bob? Do we just walk by Bob, say, Bob? Well, we, we, that is just become you get what you tolerate and what you accept. Mm-hmm. And so Bob hasn't maybe broken the law other than the drug, but that's not you know something we can charge for. But what we can do is take Bob's drugs. And we can try to get Bob referred to health, maybe get him to the safe consumption site and they can use it where some, you know, and, and, and certainly is a part of the, of the system would get somebody to give him a ride. But, you know, we can't just continue to tolerate this. And then there's Charlie. Charlie's in that same spot in the mall. And Charlie, you know, is struggling. Charlie's a little bit more flexible than a normal human being should be. Uh, and he's struggling and he's, you know, could be at fear of overdosing, maybe is overdosing. That's fentanyl. What do we do with Charlie? You know, you can't just arrest Charlie, put him in jail, isn't going to help him. Uh, but that's something where we're partnering now with Radius Health. We've converted our old detention management unit. Radius is taking that over. Let's get him on Suboxone if we can. Let's get somebody from health interview. Find out where he's from. Suboxone stops him from overdosing for 24 hours. If we can get him on Sublocate that's funded by the government at 1100 I think it's dollars a shot. Can't overdose for 30 days. But then we can get some relentless follow-up from health to maybe get Charlie on track. Maybe get Charlie home. Because as we know as police, most of our homeless aren't from here. Then there's Devin. And Devin is walking around in that same area. He's in transit. He's in the mall. He's punching the air. He's basically doing things. He's scaring the heck out of people. He hasn't committed a crime yet. What do we do with Devin? Well, Devin's going to not be safe to himself. He's not potentially safe to others. Devin is another person that maybe we have to detain under the Alcohol Act. And we get him into our DMU and we get him connected. Try to find out where he's from. Try to, through health. Obviously, try to get on Suboxone, sublocate, see what the issues are, and, and, and deal with them that way. And then you get to Evan. Evan is the guy. He's in the mall. He's on transit. He's punching people. He's stabbing people. He's shooting people on occasion, random attacks. Devin needs to go to jail. Mm-hmm. Devin can be rehabilitated in jail, but he needs to go to jail. And then there's the guys you deal with in your day job. There's Frank. Frank are those gangbangers. There's your red alert and other members of different uh, gangs that are infiltrating our vulnerable, that have really got into the fentanyl trade, that are basically integrated right with them. And they need to be dealt with by policing. And they need to be very uncomfortable because that's not acceptable when somebody's going to sell that drugs, harm people like that. And we need to deal with that. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people in our city think that's the same person. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people in our city think the way to fix that is housing. And you and I both know that housing isn't going to fix any one of those five. But we also know that housing is important. 
But until we have the ability to take somebody where they can get the right treatment on the front end, until we have the ability to lessen the load in corrections and get them focused on the rehabilitation, uh, on the back two, which are definitely justice, first three being health. That's why putting law enforcement, public health, and that's why the province is talking about an integrated facility building. They're going to stand up more beds. You know, hopefully we can get minimum standards in the shelters. Then we get to zero tolerance, open air drug use, and then you alleviate some of the pressure. You don't fix it and you do it with empathy. And on the other end, you do it with enforcement and both are needed to get the stability back in the community. Yeah. But unfortunately, one dimensional approaches have never worked ever. And we're seeing it play out everywhere. And we still try to chase the one dimensional approaches. I mean, I know more probably as police leaders at harm reduction from my previous jobs and others, it's needed, but it's not a single dimensional answer. Yeah. And it can't just be, if you're going to solve a drug problem by just putting on more drugs, it's not going to work. Now, if it's a part of a sequence, if you have a system that looks at obviously intervention and prevention, enforcement, a medical treatment, you know, when I, I like the language, the province says recovery because recovery is a destination. A lot of people don't like that, but it really has all those things in the system. And we truly do not have a system yet. I can say the province has been a very strong partner. I, I think, and I strongly believe the way they're going, having sat on their mental health and addictions task force, having sat on their human traffic task force, having co-chaired their housing homeless, they're on the right track. Uh, and we just need to continue to evolve and build this. And then we need to obviously be in those frontline responders in most cases, be able to channel this stuff. And we also need to be able to alleviate this open air drug use because you and I both know that open air drug use leads to a spike in retail crime. Yeah. They're totally related. And retail crime, as you know, isn't taken very serious. So you got to stop it at some point. And when I say stop it, slow it down. Taking 20% out of the system will get momentum, will get hope back because unfortunately a lot of people are losing hope. And we've lost the business voice. We've lost a lot of things. You've got frontline police officers, frontline paramedics, frontline firefighters, frontline teachers, frontline nurses that are all frustrated. Mm -hmm. And we become and drive shortage is, is in all of those human service delivery, our crisis compounds. So yeah, it's, it's fixable. When I say fixable, let's get 20% and 20% are getting the right people in the room going in the same direction and stop one dimensional directions. I mean, I've been pretty fortunate to be involved in this a few times. Uh, and you know, I, I, I'm, I always, my class is half full, but it's important that we're in all these spaces and we can't just be in one space because we're going to get called anyway. Well, I think that's where some of this leadership, um, leadership from, I say the city side, um, I think some of it is, it's, it's just almost looks like it's turning into political games. And this is just from a ground view, being out there day to day, working the days and the nights and the people we deal with is, there's, like you were saying, it's hard to get people into recovery. At some point, we need to be able to say, you have to go. We have to make a person go at some point. We can't just wait and wait and wait forever for them to feel comfortable about going. Sometimes people do need that little push to get them on track. The other part is um, when it comes to the, the, whole, uh, the housing issue, I see that in the news quite a bit. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's just the media that's selling that, if it's from the city, uh, but they make it sound like, you know, housing is the first and foremost thing that we should be looking at. It's like, but if I take a person who can't function on the day to day, that's addicted to drugs, that maybe isn't employed, that's never uh, owned a home or at least can't function enough to take care of that home, I'm going to be putting a lot of money into something, tax dollars that is going to get destroyed or you know nobody's going to take care of it. So I don't think that is necessarily the end-all be-all or the first and foremost thing we should be looking at. I agree with what you're saying. I think um, from my perspective, and this isn't even trying to be biased, this is just from what I see from all the narratives out there, police are 
one of the few organizations looking to make partnerships with everybody. And from what I've seen, one of the few that is not saying, we're the answer, we're the answer to everything. We're actually trying to, like, when a, when a police officer in patrol is out there, picks up somebody that needs help for drugs, they're trying to find a partner to take him to. Nobody answers the phone after four o'clock or you got like two people for the whole city to answer that phone. And, and half the time, um, these people might be banned from the same shelters or services. Now what do you do? You, it's only the police that are available to take care of them. So we're trying to work with other people. I just don't see that kind of being reciprocated. Yeah, I, I, you know what, uh, Nathan, I, I think we're getting better. Like I think our partners and we've spent a lot of time on the front end now trying to get the right partners. Cause I think you're right. We're partner with way too many people and some of them are organizations and some of them maybe haven't been getting the outcomes or the effectiveness we need. So we're trying to get that right. I want to go back to your point on mandated treatment, uh, that is uh, in the province's election platform, uh, and I and I and I think it's important to distinguish. To your point, is nobody's talking about mandated treatment after the first time, but we're seeing some of these individuals 10, 20, 50, 100 times. Yes, at some point they need somebody to lean into them and give them some help and try to get some of their life back. And you know, when there's been really, really good success on some of that, where people actually start to think, they start to feel healthy, they can get back and they can make decisions in relation to getting some of their uh, uh, confidence and, and mental health back. So I agree with you at some point. And I, and I think that's why I like the idea of that becoming a health issue. And uh, certainly we have the ability to get somebody in front of a health tribunal to look at it in a different mechanism. Uh, so we certainly support that and it's very much needed because otherwise it's just a cycle and we're seeing the same people. And then the other thing that we found is when I co-chaired the, the task force on housing and homelessness is a good portion of our uh, folks uh, that are homeless in our city are from our city. And, you know, yeah. unless we build parallel systems in which I see the province doing now and some of the First Nations, I know they've announced one in Enoch. You know, I, what task one was another kind of feeder system that was always talked about, Grand Prairie. Unless we build feeder systems where they have similar resources in, uh, this doesn't slow down because you can't just fix this in the city. You got to have parallel. You're going to need resources in both. And then, and then the last part of that is, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're looking at that from a perspective that they really follow the hospital patterns in. And the correctional patterns, the justice system, the drug patterns, all it's very similar. So when people get released here, uh, because we have the big remand center and the correctional facility, is sometimes they don't leave. So some of that planning that needs to be done in corrections to get people back to where their supports are, some of it needs to be in hospital. That's also part of this too. Yeah. Uh, but that's how you build a system. There's no one component that's the answer. It's a bunch of components where the sum of the parts are, are greater than the individual parts. And so that's where we're trying to go. And that's where we're putting our voice and we're leaning into, you know, but it's also the best way to alleviate the frustrations of our front lines, because to your point, they see this, they want to help. It's what they signed up for. They're picking buddy up for, uh, you know, time and time again and time again. And, you know, then you get these good news stories. The ones that do make it generally are some police officer invested some time into them, got them into the things. And we have multiple people telling us that in videos. And why is that? Because we see them most often. Yeah. Because we're 24-7 and we're called to help, to your point, when other services aren't there. But when we have teams together, sometimes it's not the first call we need to fix. We need to stop the second, the tenth the 15th, the 50th call. And unfortunately, one of the things that, you know, we've shifted away from a bit at not unfortunately, fortunately, is we always used to measure how quick we got to a call. And, and priority ones, we need to be there yesterday. We need to evaluate every one of them and wonder why we haven't. But mm -hmm. on you know, when you get to the fives and stuff like that, and their repeat calls, how many of these are we 
through the appropriate time spent on stopping them from being future calls. And when we can do that, we can start to to get some progress, which we did for the first three years. And then as you lose resources, all these things get more difficult, right? Well, and so that kind of brings me to something I was going to ask about was just measuring efficiency. So how do we show people uh, or how does the police service, uh, not me, because I wouldn't have a clue, but how does the police service show people that the return on investment, the amount of tax dollars that are coming in are being yeah. spent uh, effectively and based on, especially the amount. Like, And for me, it's not so much looking at just the total amount. It's like, I'll spend all my money on safety if that's what's required and it's being used efficiently. But I also ask those same questions of all the other services being provided. So you have all those shelters and um, outreach programs and different things. There's so many of them. I know they all fight each other for dollars. Um, so, you know, how do we show that what we're doing is efficient and, and where do we make cuts? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been doing that here for a while. So, you know, that's why we built the value and impact division. So, you know, we do our studies, they've evaluated help, uh, significant reduction, 60% on some of the most serious offenders, 65% coming back into the system. So, A, that's a cost saving, but it's also a reduction in crime. We showed an impact. Uh, you know, we show the investment in our guns in, in gangs and how we actually take firearms on the street and how you can actually prevent that. You know, you see an invisible presence. You see it in Air One when we study the amount of safe uh, high-speed chases that are managed without any injury. You, you see that through a whole bunch of different things. We have to measure things, and we're required by the problems. Yeah, you know, certainly we measure use of force. Everybody talks about use of force when our use of force is actually less than one percent of the calls for service that we have, but it still doesn't mean we have to not look at every one of them, and we take that stuff serious. We reevaluate policies, uh, you know. So we are measuring lots of things, uh, and we continue to get better at it. You know, now what we're trying to do is, do we have the right services? And this is something you and I've talked about. Do we, you know, can we, an area like you are, can we merge gangs and guns, and can we build more capacity by putting them together? Because really, as we know, there's going to be drugs involved in those two. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so then you got drugs as well. And and then how do we compound and how do we better work with alert to show efficiency? So we're doing all kinds of things in relation to that. Um, but I mean, it's, you, you know, yourself in policing, what do police hate? They hate things the way they are. And what do they hate more? Change. So, yeah. uh, you know, the reality is we continue to evolve and change. We just got to make sure that when we change and I go back to Vision 2020, we made a lot of changes we really haven't done anything for about a year and a half of changing other than the, other than the, uh, the RMS CRIM project. Uh, but we still got to go back and tweak because there's some things when you make that level of change, you don't get quite right. Right now you did all your heavy moves. So you don't necessarily need to, it's not about so much. It's more now, do they report in the right area? Is there a little bit of mergers we can do to get extra capacity? Those are things that we're always doing and we need to do it. But we're also trying to really slow it down, get out of red zone when we're busy. And, you know, so that's been the whole point. I mean, that RMS system is a good example. Single biggest lift that we ever did. I think we took 30 some systems, put it into one. Is it perfect? No. Is it better than we've ever had? Yes. Will it be better? Because we left the back end team to fix the problems. I think they got 700 requests that are coming from our front lines. We won't be able to do all those, but they're committed to doing as many of those to streamline that process. And, you know, everything from people, one car to two, drop-down screens, some of that stuff is all adjustable. But we've got the vendor willing to work with us because we're going to be the first in the country to have this type of system. So they're vested in us, and we got them to commit to doing that. But really, we still have the same system. We have niche. Yeah, It's just that we've got the modern version of niche, which we can't expect that a month later that it's finished. You know what I mean? So those are some of the growing pains that come up with this type of change but on the other side of that is what we can eventually access to your point is intelligence-led policing which is the data that allows us to make these decisions 
It's also the same way that we had all the data available to say bail reform needs to get addressed now, that we were the first in the country to put that forward from a bail reform perspective because we had the data. It's because of how we rebuilt our systems. And now there's others, certainly there's lots of them, and it seems to be a real, the same trend right across the province. I know Calgary has now copied us and shown the same thing. Uh, So there's lots of things that we can learn and placing from each other. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, which gets us into why we're having this conference of safer cities. And we're bringing in police services from across North America to talk about some of the things that are working, what partnerships are working, what alternative service delivery models are working, what's working on guns and gangs, what's what's been those difference makers. That's how we evolve is you always got to be looking at how you improve. I think it's a matter of continuous improvement. What we just got to be careful is, is now when we made our big change that we, the next round of changes aren't major, they're tweaks. It's things that we maybe didn't get quite right, which we're always going to have, but how do we tweak it to make it better? But there's one thing for sure. And you've been around long enough. It's policing's not going back to the way it used to be. Yeah. You just need to look south of the border to realize it's not going to go back, but that's not bad. So what we need to do is focus on what do we need it to be to make us make us successful. Well, and yeah, you mentioned the conference coming up. I think that was September 18th to 20th. Um, there's a couple of things in there on that uh, that were kind of interesting sounding. Uh, one was the, there's a pitch competition. And then there was also a yeah. global innovative challenge. So would you mind talking a bit about those? Uh, or are you allowed to talk about them? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> so, I mean... All that a little bit interactive. Our foundation is a sponsor. So you remember when we did liquor store thefts and they threw out the challenge, liquor store robberies, Ben Davis took yeah. that on for the police service, you know, showed us that we needed three things, controlled entrances, uh, GPS tracking device on the bottles, which we're going to, you know, legit, legitimate business from a form of organized crime. And then the third thing was a communication strategy and those seven pilot uh, stores in Edmonton now where I said 94 or 95% reduction in theft and robberies. We need to get that across, obviously, the province, certainly across our city. That's been a bit more of a challenge, but it's still coming together. Uh, so that's one. So this is something where we can use a pitch. What is a big problem that we need to fix in public safety that we're all seeing? And then we could turn it over to the world through Alchemist X, which is the largest, uh, uh, platform uh, uh, as an as an, as uh, to do this accelerator type work uh, connected you know Silicon Valley being here with our foundation and our police service uh, operating this okay and what can we get from them that actually might be able to help us out and bring in industry to to help us expedite some of the innovations so there'll be a couple of those you know you're going to see things. Uh, the plenary, like we've got Chief Cadmus DeLorme coming in to speak, uh, First Nations Chief, uh, which dynamic speaker. We get the head chief statistician, Anil Aurora, coming in. Chief Garcia from Dallas, a little bit on guns and gangs. We've got uh, we've got quite a quite a lineup of of speakers, and then there's several police leaders from across North America here. Um, and we're going to showcase some of the things across the city from alternative service delivery they're working, guns and gangs, shooting events, data sovereignty, uh, you know, using data to, to drive crime and increase safety or to drive down crime and increase safety. Um, and then everything, a retail crime, mental health and addictions. Uh, and it's, the speakers are phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's what well, it, it's trying to take a lot of the things that are in our grill right now that are urgent and see who across North America is getting a bit of a head on some of this stuff and how can we beg, borrow, or steal from each other to maybe do it a little bit better in our homeland. So it's going to be, you know, pretty important to have this kind of sharing. And then we've already got Peel teed up to take the second one, because as you know, in policing, uh, some of this changes from year to year. Yeah. Some of it stays the same. One like transit is on here and and a whole bunch of, of different things. But there's people that have solved this and maybe not solved it, but do it better than others. And some of them obviously do it better than we do. And we need to learn from them. And some of the things we do are better than what they do. And they can learn from us. 
So, so it's one of those things you can, you know, fill a room, hopefully limited attendance. It's not going to try to be thousands. If we want to get it into that 300 mark where it's a good audience, where we can have meaningful discussions and plenary sessions, uh, uh, just to talk about some of the things and some of the things that would be really relevant to, to your area, uh, I mean, there's no question and province is coming forward with us. We need to get a non-fatal shooting team here because we do a pretty good job on the ones that happen, but these non-fatals, these random shootings, you know, that's generally because they just haven't hit somebody, right? Yeah. Medical attention. So we got to be putting more time to get some of these so-called really, really bad guys. And yeah, we know that, you know, it's an organized component that's involved in this when we're talking gangs and we're talking when you're talking fentanyl and car fentanyl as an exporter. And, and if you just study how that all uh, started out of Mexico, I think people don't realize that these people don't care how many people they kill, Yeah, like through the distribution of drugs. And so we have to do everything within our authority and power as collective police agencies to, to reduce that. Well, I don't think people uh, realize, and this is pretty much everybody outside of policing doesn't realize just how much of a hub Edmonton is. We are the gateway to the north, and we are also the gateway to this even closer, like Grand Prairie, Fort Mac, Prince George and BC, the north half of Saskatchewan. We see some major uh, operations kind of come through this city. And that's, I mean, that takes funding. That takes a lot of time and resources to combat all these different things from many angles. But um, maybe just kind of the last thing we can get to is the guns and gangs strategy. And, um, you know, I thought it was kind of timely that that article came out about uh, Mayor Sohi just through the Edmonton Sun and just about the bill C-75 kind of being soft on bail. And, and the now we have a call to uh, have some bail reform from the city. Um, meanwhile, the chiefs of police, the premiers, Uh, I know a lot of the associations and the National Police Federation have all been doing this already. So what what are we looking at for this guns and gang strategy? You kind of mentioned the non-fatal shooting teams. Yeah. But what's the overall picture and and what are we looking at kind of on the groundwork? Yeah, I mean it's it's a great call. So I mean, I mean it's all encompassing, right? So um, you know, an area like when you talk guns and gangs, I mean, right there tells you that we got two different units that we probably need to squeeze together and figure out how we do it. And then you got drugs and then you got alert. So I think we got to figure out what resources we actually need. Some of the new bodies that are coming in. And first of all, we got to find bodies. Uh, we got to staff it up and we got to make sure that it's linked as one. So, you know, there's always going to be a commodity, but the commodity has always got a person behind it. And we got to start taking some of these people off the street. Yes. Um, and certainly a lot of them are, they're all over the place now, right? They're integrated right into our vulnerable communities and their encampments. They're everywhere right now. So, I mean, coordinated, uh, intelligence led, data driven, um, you know, and, and, and unfortunately it's, you know, it's what police work is. That's our job. We need to go in there and disrupt it. And it's not acceptable for these people, A, to hurt people, be to pass their drugs and you know and and are killing people and you know it's not like this stuff is just showing up it's it's showing up because it's a commodity and it's it's money right and there's always money behind this so we also got to hurt the pocketbooks and we got to keep going after them and we have to be relentless on this this isn't something that's going away anytime soon um so uh my thoughts are we just got to gear up uh do a lot of the good things we're doing, but scale it up. And, uh, and that non-fatal is something we don't have, which I, I think we absolutely need. We're bringing in Phoenix to the conference. That's where they've made a lot of their uh, big differences is when they scaled up their non-fatal shooting team. Toronto made a big difference in some of theirs in relation to when they built a data dashboard okay. and really focused on those individuals that were trending and, and knew when they were trending you know, in a timely manner. So all those things, I think, will what we'll see taking bits and pieces of those to kind of, you know, I, and I don't want to come down on our guys because you being one of them, we do a pretty good job. But I mean, at the end of the day, we can only get this so much. So yeah, uh, this to me has always been something that's a priority for me and priority for the service. We just need to make sure that we get everybody going the same direction and not necessarily 
um, you know, this isn't my call. This isn't your call. No, these are all our calls. These are bad people that are hurting people. And, you know, uh, when we're wearing our crest, that's our job, right? So I think there's some good things to come in here and we're going to need input from yourself and others as we build this out. I know Devin and Nicole are working on this, uh, fairly significantly right now and they're in their, uh, bureaus. Uh, uh so I, I think yeah. we got some good things yeah. to come, but first and foremost, thanks to the province, obviously for funding another some bodies there through alert to us and, and to Calgary. Cause I think it's also important that we're integrated with Calgary because you and I both know that road is one that's well-traveled and, uh, yes, it is. <laughs> it's just, and if we can stop them somewhere, uh, in between or in either city, I think we take out a chunk. And then when you see some of these shootings that come place and travel along, as you and I know, they, they don't necessarily always come from Alberta. So we also have to be on top of that and, get them where we have to get them with using the other agencies that we need to be working with, which some of the work that we've done recently has, has made a dent in that. And then on the technology side, making sure that our lab is scaled right up, you know, that tracing. Now, unfortunately we're seeing obviously some of these ghost guns come in. I think we need to find a way to, to obviously be paying attention to that. And then the other thing is, is when Canada is becoming an export of fentanyl, uh, I think that we've got a whole other angle that's associated to guns right there that we have to be diligent on. And, and uh, you know, it's, it kind of not humors me, but it's somewhat when you think about it, there's not too many gangs that aren't involved in drugs and there's not too many gangs that aren't involved in drugs and guns. Yeah. Uh, they inherently come together. <laughs> exactly. So we inherently have to put what we have together to to get it where it can make the biggest impact. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up. Um, I want to say thanks for coming on. If you can hang on for two seconds, I'll say bye offline. But uh, yeah. Sounds good. Thank you for being on. Thanks, Nathan. Really appreciate your time.